0: Hello and welcome to the Thanksgiving episode of the Politically Speaking Podcast.
1: Gobble Gobble.
0: Uh, I'm Chris McDaniel, a very thankful political
1: reporter <laughs> with St. Louis Public Radio, and I'm joined by Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Speaking, and Joe Manny's forced me to do that, <laughs> by the way.
2: Yes, and I'm very thankful that he did.
0: <laughs> well, we've got a we've got a three-course meal uh, for you today. <laughs> Uh, I think this podcast should be a real trip for fans. It's a trip gift. to fan. Trip for fans. Okay. Well, okay. I went over the head. Yeah. Too All intellectual
2: right. for this crowd.
0: <laughs> after Thanksgiving, people might be worried about their health. They might be eating too much. So that's where health exchanges might come into play. Which
1: yes. Although although I guess the issue will be be decided well after Thanksgiving, maybe even after, after New Year's. Yes, right. it will be definitely after and New Hanukkah. Year's. And
0: Hanukkah. Kwanzaa, mm, yes. maybe. Yes. All of the holidays.
2: Yes. Okay. Okay. So here's what's happening. Uh, And Jason's been working on this as well. Uh, Health exchanges, which are supposed to be these online uh, marketplaces where people without insurance could go and get insurance, presumably at lower costs. And also, if they qualify for subsidies, this is where they would connect with the subsidy. Now, this was originally a Republican idea, and it's part of the Affordable Care Act. The states were supposed to set them up, but many states weren't uh, because many of the Republicans in charge of the legislatures or the governors objected to them, in part because it's a partisan fight because they disagreed with other parts of the Affordable Care Act. So they po- Now, in Missouri, uh, the la- latest word had been that the governor had announced a little over a week ago, Jason was there, that the state wasn't going to be able to set up a state exchange because the basically the voters had approved Proposition E, which required either a legislative vote or a statewide vote, and the legislature is run by Republicans who said they don't want the exchanges. Now, then the governor sent a letter on Friday to Kathleen Sebelius, uh, who's head of HHS, saying we definitely, absolutely, won't be able to set up a state exchange. Now, this letter comes as... In some other states that have been Republican-run in the last few days, even Rick Scott in Florida... Governor of my mom. Yeah, have been starting to backtrack a bit from their original no-way, no-how. Now they're saying maybe. Maybe.
0: And that has some of the more conservatives pretty upset.
2: Yeah. So you're even seeing it on Twitter. And Jason, you can pick it up here.
1: For for one thing, the governor is absolutely right. I mean, there's no way for the state to set up a state-based exchange by, what is it, December 16th now? Yeah, they moved the deadline. Even if he called a special session tomorrow, which he's not going to do, the amount of time it would take to set up would just not be practical. So that's off the table. There is a possibility that could set up a state federal partnership exchange in February. Correct. Or just, you know, set up a state based exchange another time, possibly. That's what the beacon reported.
2: Or that there, were, and in the meantime, there would be a federal exchange set up. That's the plan.
1: Yes. But, but as you kind of alluded to, there has been kind of this backlash against the idea of the state setting up their own exchanges. And the best case in point may be when. State Representative Jay Barnes of Jefferson City went on to Dana Lash's show in St. Louis. He tried to make the argument that if the legislature doesn't act, then the feds are going to come in and not going to provide the state with a lot of leeway in how to proceed with these exchanges. Which is true. Which I think is pretty much when you look at the statutes is an undeniable fact. Right. Well,
2: well, 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 seeing there had been concern that the federal exchange would allow coverage or offer insurance for certain types of procedures, say contraceptive or abortions or whatever, that the state legislators, if they had set up their own exchange, were going to ban.
1: Right. My the, my point for bringing up that example was when he made that suggestion, the the conversation turned very acrimonious to the point where Lash said that she's going to primary Barnes out of office. Now, frankly, I don't know how much sway a St. Louis conservative radio host has over Cole County politics, but it is kind of indicative of the fact that there is opposition to this and legitimate opposition in the Missouri Senate because the next day, Senator Scott Rupp of Wentzville came on the show and basically said, no way, no how are are we going to agree to set up these state-based exchanges? And he's not alone in that sentiment. And basically what Barnes told me is there's a select group of senators that will probably be stumbling blocks for the legislature to set up any of these exchanges. That's what happened in 2011 when this bill passed unanimously in the House but got filibustered in the Senate. And unless something drastically changes now, that's kind of the lay of the land. And that's kind of why the state may not really have a say over setting of its own exchange or partnership exchange as of this moment. It could change.
2: Right. Now, House Speaker Tim Jones, I mentioned this in an earlier broadcast, had said at that time there, he he wasn't going to bring up state exchanges again in the House that he opposed setting them up. But, uh, but he also said, though, if there's a federal exchange, he would like the state to have some sort of impact, so, which was kind of alluding at the state-federal partnership thing. Uh, so there's been some speculation about whether or not some legislators might be looking at that hybrid mm-hmm. as a way to – a, have some control over it if if there's an exchange going to be set up anyway because the, they are under pressure from many hospitals right. who want the exchanges because the idea – the assumption is that that would mean that more people would have coverage. And so when they walk in the door at the hospital and need emergency care, they would have coverage – instead of not having coverage and the hospital having to foot the bill. And that's
1: kind of a similar argument on the separate issue of whether to expand Medicaid or not, although I would say there's far greater opposition to that prospect, and I think it's a lot less likely at this point for various philosophical and political reasons, but not to conflate the two issues, but it's kind of a similar argument that a lot of the hospitals are. If if you get them covered under a certain insurance umbrella – then it'll be less costly to to care for them. Yeah,
2: so the big drama over the next few months, I think, is going to be, A, whether or not there's any movement on the legislators' part, and B, is that if there is any, is it prompted by behind-the-scenes pressure from um, the healthcare industry in the state? Now, the governor's office, I talked to them today and to see if there was any change from what the governor had said, if he was amenable, to any sort of change if the legislature is a change of heart. And they said at this point, the governor isn't saying anything more beyond what he said to Kathleen Sebelius. So in other words, Nixon is going to stay out of it.
0: Unsurprisingly. <laughs> Pretty unsurprisingly. So we're, we're recording on Tuesday, and it's my understanding that there's been some news with a Supreme Court ruling uh, bolstering power for unions, Joe.
2: Uh Public employee unions. Public employee unions. Yes, this is police and teachers. Uh, The state Supreme Court issued the decision in several cases, um, but there are similarities. Basically, they ruled in the case of Chesterfield the University City, the police officers where the cities had appealed because the lower court had ruled that not only must the cities recognize these uh, organized groups of police but they had to bargain with them, and the judge set out procedures on how that was to proceed. Um, the state supreme court said that that lower court judge went too far in telling them how it should proceed, but that they were to negotiate with them somehow. And it, it's and the court said that these uh, cities had to recognize the police groups, which they were going to be a local of the Fraternal Order of Police. So there was no ifs, ands, or buts. It said that you shall recognize this bargaining group. Now, in a separate case, but similar decision, this was a charter school in the city of St. Louis where uh, the teachers had agreed to join the American Federation of Teachers, but the charter district said they didn't have to talk to them. And the Supreme Court said, yes, you do. So you have to negotiate. And the one dissenter, which was Zell uh, Fisher, who's a, uh, a Supreme Court judge, and he, he he's a Republican, correct, or was appointed by a Republican? Yeah, but so
1: was Patricia Brackenridge.
2: Right, right, right. And, and, and it was interesting that five, it was a five-to-one decision, both of them. Basically, the majority said not only do these public employees have the right to bargain, but the entities, the cities or the school districts have to bargain with them and Fisher said that's going too far the state supreme court allows them to to organize but it doesn't allow doesn't require that the entities have to have to negotiate with them but the fact that it's that the supreme court ruled 5 to 1 in favor of that really does move move the argument away from districts and others who for decades have just ignored whatever the teachers or the police or fire did in some communities. If they organized, fine, but they weren't going to talk to them. Now, according to the Supreme Court, they got to talk to them.
0: Now, going forward, I mean, how much more power does that give to public unions?
2: It gives them a lot because now they can't be ignored.
1: Especially in local areas. (laughs) From what I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, from a state level, there aren't a whole lot of public employee unions except in some instances um, and wasn't there, like, an attempt to unionize back when when Governor Holden was there, but it kind of got overturned or yes, something some, like that? Yes, some of
2: the uh, – this was prison employees. Yeah. And, in fact, there were some that were organized, but I think when uh, Matt Blunt came into mm. office, I think they were uh, – I, I could be wrong, but I think they were either decertified or something happened. Uh, they were trying to uh, reduce the public employees being organized. But this Supreme Court ruling really kind of will make that more difficult in the future because it basically says once they're organized, the governmental body who is the employer has to deal with them. So that's definitely a movement uh, that I'm sure a lot of people still haven't digested yet (laughs) because it's just happened a few hours ago.
0: Well, speaking of bargaining, there's going to have to be some bargaining done if we're going to avert the so-called fiscal cliff.
1: Right, Jason? <laughs> it sounds pretty scary. That is just a – I'm sure people are already hand-wringing over that metaphor. I, I think there, it's, mm-hmm. it's right. not something like people like to talk about. Right, And, 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 yeah.
2: and, and fixing the dead. And Jason covered uh, this event just –
1: From afar. There was a press conference in Jefferson City, but using the magic of a telephone, I was able ah. to get uh, information about this group. It's a national group that started in July – was started by Erskine Bowles and Alan Simpson, the two heads of the so-called Simpson-Bowles Commission on the Deficit. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this way to, not only to kind of project the ideals of Simpson-Bowles, which I'm being very s- summarizing here, reducing federal spending, changing the tax code, and kind of making pretty significant changes to Social Security and Medicare. Right. And it's kind of... Their their main thrust is they want a deal done before January 1st fiscal cliff when a series of tax increases and spending cuts go automatically, automatically into effect.
0: effect. Which many would say would trigger a recession.
1: Yeah. Yes. Although, yeah. So this group start, had a Missouri rollout y- yesterday, Monday, where uh, former U.S. Senator Kit Bond, uh, former Governor Bob Holden- Uh, Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder and State Treasurer Clint Zweifel, two Two Republicans and two Democrats, Democrats, uh, came out basically supporting the ideals of this group. Um, And I think that they're going to try to be active in the run up to these negotiations. But what I pointed out in the article and what was kind of grumbling in social media yesterday is this. First of all, the the Simpson-Bowles recommendations were not universally popular by a long shot, and,
2: and they didn't pass uh, right. by enough vote where they were formally presented to Congress. Right,
1: and from the left, it was criticized for not doing enough to raise, like marginal tax rates. Yeah, focusing, because it actually lowered some tax yeah, rates and focusing too much on exemptions. And they were also critical on the cuts to medic or to Social, Social Security, Security and Medicare, Medicare, especially gradually raising the retirement age. Right. So when I was looking on Twitter yesterday, there were some people who are on the center-left progressive side who were basically calling this high Broderism, which is a uh, pejorative thrown at an idea, bipartisanship for bipartisanship's sake. Right. And it was named after David Broder, a columnist for the Washington Post who, who put out that idea a lot, and they basically say just because something is bipartisan doesn't mean it's a good idea. Right. And I kind of saw that undercurrent when that rolled out from from a few people. I mean, I don't know how this is going to affect, you know, a congressional right. situation. How are, how are four well, Missouri politicians well, going to Well, the, there already has
2: been—there was some protests the last couple—or I shouldn't say protests—demonstrations—demonstrations. Um, or letters uh there's some progressive groups in Missouri who are trying to send a signal to Claire McCaskill, uh who just got one reelection but also was on vacation for a little while um uh, to they don't want her to agree to too many cuts uh they want to make sure that you know that they're particularly protective of the entitlements, particularly Medicare, which is seen as the big driver. There are some on both sides but particularly Democrats who say Social Security shouldn't even be part of the discussion because Social Security does not contribute to the to the deficit. Right. But they, Medicare, it's a different situ, situation. Now, there are some who have proposed increasing their retirement age. McCaskill made clear during the campaign she does not support increasing their retirement age. One of the reasons is because... Um, there are some experts who say that increasing the retirement age actually hurts the fiscal stability of the program because it, uh, in theory, takes out the younger, weller elderly. Mm-hmm. So that, in other mm-hmm. words, it's th- – right. th- that was why there was a push early on. It got uh, um, knocked out, but early on in in the Affordable Care Act ne- negotiations of even lowering it to like 55 or 60 if people paid the full – premium and mm-hmm. the contention was because they're in theory healthier than somebody who's 80 that
1: right. they
2: actually would help bolster the fiscal security of the program now that's not being discussed but the point is this mm-hmm. is kind of behind uh, the opposition of some to raising the retirement right interest. well we've
0: talked a little bit about what you know McCaskill wants in terms of the fiscal cliff but you know let's talk a little bit about what Roy blunt wants um, he's he's been pretty outspoken that he is not willing to Raise taxes right. for for the settlement. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes forward. We we have two, you know, pretty high ranking senators in, mm-hmm. in Missouri, and and they both pretty clearly represent the two different ideological planes, yeah.
2: Although he has indicated, I was on a conference call a few days ago where he was talking and he was indicating that he might be sympathetic to some of the proposals. Uh, This was something that Mitt Romney had put out about restricting the deductions, saying, well, let's leave the tax rates where they are, but let's just restrict the deductions. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, the Democrats say it doesn't bring in in enough or some of those restrictions might actually affect middle class people. But that's but Blunt is interested in that option.
1: It'll be an interesting outcome since they have to make a decision whether to do something or what my inclination is just extending the time they this have to make a decision.
2: Well, I don't think the Democrats want to do that because I think they're fearful that whatever what whatever leverage they have weakens right. over time. Right. Yeah,
0: that's definitely true. That's definitely a good point. Well, okay. That's a pretty lean podcast for for the thing. As
1: lean as the the deer that Governor Jane Nixon, <laughs> Nixon harvested with his bare hands. Oh, man.
2: Yeah, the, there's been a Twitter debate. I mean, the fact being that Using the word harvested when you're talking about deer hunting, that uh, as some commentator put on Twitter, uh, deer are not corn, that they're not harvested, they're killed.
1: They taste better than corn, from what I recall. <laughs> but let's also remember one other thing about this holiday. Is, the
2: python. Don't forget
1: oh, that. Oh, yeah. All, Squeezy the pension python, which was put out by Governor Quinn. That was what I was going to talk about, but this entire conversation has has prompted me to bring up the memory of Gobbles the turkey that was pardoned by former Republican governor Matt Blunt in 2007 which was a benevolent gesture on the governor's part but in actuality it actually hastened the turkey's death because when he was put on a farm in Platte County uh, after living in basically a turkey pen his entire life he just ate and ate and ate and ate until he died, died. of obesity
2: this is a true story.
1: Yes. <laughs> it was one of my last stories I wrote when I was with the Columbia Daily Tribune in 2008, and it was a m- monstrous expose of the greatest magnitude. And I just want to say, what is it, four years later? Rest in peace, Gobbles. You are not <laughs> forgotten.
0: I, I think we can all learn a thing or two from Gobbles, and I, I think there's some takeaways for that for – For this year's Thanksgiving. Yes,
2: remember that. I mean, you can eat, but just don't be like Gobbles.
1: Don't be like Gobbles. Don't get buried next to a cow. It's embarrassing.
2: Unfortunately, Gobbles was never harvested.
1: But he was never consumed.
2: Yes. What a shame. What a shame.
0: (laughs) All right. Well... If you're still interested in uh, gobbling up the morsels of our other stories, you can head on to beyondnovember.org. That's where all of our stories are compiled. I'm at stlpublicradio.org. Joe and Jason are at stlbeacon.org. You can find me on Twitter at CSMcDaniel. You can find Jason at... Jay Rosenbaum.
2: And Jay Mannies.
0: We'll be back next week to talk about other political issues. Until then, so long and happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yes. Peace out.